You're listening to a message from Redeemer Bible Church. We hope you'll visit us in person, or you can find more messages like this one at RedeemerBibleChurch.com. This morning's text is Acts 28. After we were brought safely through, we then learned that the island was called Malta. The native people showed us unusual kindness, for they kindled a fire and welcomed us all, because it had begun to rain and was cold. When Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and put them on the fire, a viper came out because of the heat and fastened on his hand. When the native people saw the creature hanging from his hand, they said to one another, No doubt this man is a murderer. Though he has escaped from the sea, justice has not allowed him to live. He, however, shook off the creature into the fire and suffered no harm. They were waiting for him to swell up or suddenly fall down dead. But when they had waited a long time and saw no misfortune come to him, They changed their minds and said that he was a god. Now in the neighborhood of that place were lands belonging to the chief man of the island named Publius, who received us and entertained us hospitably for three days. It happened that the father of Publius lay sick with fever and dysentery, and Paul visited him and prayed, and putting his hands on him, healed him. And when this had taken place, the rest of the people on the island who had diseases also came and were cured. They also honored us greatly, and when they were about to set sail, they put on board whatever they needed. After three months, we set sail on a ship that had wintered in the island, a ship of Alexandria, with the twin gods as a figurehead. Putting in at Syracuse, we stayed there for three days, and from there we made a circuit and arrived at Regium. And after one day, a south wind sprang up, and on the second day, we came to Puteoli, There we found brothers and were invited to stay with them for seven days, and so we came to Rome. And the brothers there, when they heard about us, came as far as the Forum of Appius and three taverns to meet us. On seeing them, Paul thanked God and took courage. And when we came into Rome, Paul was allowed to stay by himself with the soldier that guarded him. After three days, he called together the local leaders of the Jews, and when they had gathered, he said to them, Brothers, Though I had done nothing against our people or the customs of our fathers, yet I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans. When they had examined me, they wished to set me at liberty, because there was no reason for the death penalty in my case. But because the Jews objected, I was compelled to appeal to Caesar, though I had no charge to bring against my nation. For this reason, therefore, I have asked to see you and speak with you, since it is because of the hope of Israel that I am wearing this chain. And they said to him, We have received no letters from Judea about you, and none of the brothers coming here has reported or spoken any evil about you. But we desire to hear from you what your views are, for with regard to the sect, we know that everywhere it is spoken against. When they had appointed a day for him, they came to him at his lodging in greater numbers. From morning till evening he expounded to them, testifying to the kingdom of God and trying to convince them about Jesus, both from the law of Moses and from the prophets. And some of them were convinced by what he said, but others disbelieved. And disagreeing among themselves, they departed after Paul had made one statement. The Holy Spirit was right in saying to your fathers through Isaiah the prophet, go to this people and say, you will indeed hear, but never understand. And you will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed. 
lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn and I would heal them. Therefore, let it be known to you that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. They will listen. He lived there two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the book of Acts, a book that we have walked through for almost two years now, and we have finally reached the final chapter. We pray, Holy Spirit, that you would use this study, not only this morning, but uh, the accumulated study through the whole book to to continue to shape our life together as a church, to continue to motivate us individually as believers, as we behold the unstoppable progress of the gospel, I pray that we will not only worship in response, but that we will engage in this wonderful work. We pray this all in Christ's name. Amen. In 2016, I read a fascinating article on how the church in Iran had, at at that point, become the fastest growing church in the world. The author offered the following historical background. The Iranian Revolution of 1979 established a hardline Islamic regime. Over the next two decades, Christians faced increasing opposition and persecution. All missionaries were kicked out. Evangelism was outlawed. Bibles in Persian were banned and soon became scarce, and several pastors were killed. The church came under tremendous pressure. Many feared the small Iranian church would soon wither away and die. But the exact opposite has happened. Despite continued hostility from the late 1970s until now, Iranians have become the Muslim people most open to the gospel in the Middle East. The author asks, how did this happen? Two factors have contributed to this openness. First, violence in the name of Islam has caused widespread disillusionment with the regime and led many Iranians to question their beliefs. Second, many Iranian Christians have continued to boldly and faithfully tell others about Christ in the face of very real and severe persecution. As a result, I want you to hear this, as a result, more Iranians have become Christians in the last 20 years than in the previous 13 centuries Put together. In 1979, there were an estimated 500 Christians from a Muslim background in Iran. Today, there are hundreds of thousands, some say more than a million. In fact, friends, in 2015, the year before this article was written, the mission research organization Operation World named Iran as having the fastest-growing evangelical church in the world. And 
Interestingly, according to the same organization, the second fastest growing church is in Afghanistan. You see, Afghans are being reached in part by Iranians. The author of this article, Mark Howard, said that the story of the explosive growth of the evangelical church in Iran can be summarized in just two sentences. Here they are. Persecution threatened to wipe out Iran's tiny church. Sentence number one. Sentence number two. Instead, the church in Iran has become the fastest growing in the world and it is influencing the region for Christ. Brothers and sisters, those two sentences don't just summarize the story of the Iranian church, but they summarize the growth of the early church as well. In fact, let me rephrase it a little bit. Persecution threatened to wipe out a tiny band of believers. Instead, the church flourished and grew and began to spread across the whole world. The church in Iran is just one contemporary example of what we have seen all throughout the book of Acts. If you watched Jesus in Athens, you saw this as well. You can also read about the evangelical church in China and India and Africa. Each of these examples will serve only to reiterate this wonderful reality. The spread of the gospel and the growth of the church cannot be stopped. Last week, we, we studied Acts chapter 27. The chapter closed with the fulfillment of God's promise. Well, Paul was shipwrecked. Not a single person with him lost their life. Again, we see God's sovereign hand in every detail of this story, don't we? And of course, this doesn't stop when we arrive at the final chapter of Acts, Acts chapter 28. As you heard the text read, chapter 28 opens on an island called Malta. And Luke records the very interesting account of Paul being bitten by a viper and yet suffering no effect from it. God then uses Paul to heal a man who is quite sick. These are the sorts of things we've, we've read about all throughout Acts. God sovereignly intervening to display his glory, protect his servants, and make the gospel known. There's, there's so much that we could look at this morning in Acts 28, but I want to spend our time examining uh, the, the event that we've been anticipating for several chapters now. Paul is finally in Rome. He's finally in Rome and he is standing before a group of Jewish religious leaders, probably elders of the synagogues in Rome. And as he speaks, here we see yet again that the gospel is unstoppable. In fact, you could argue that the book of Acts as a whole puts before us the true story of the unstoppable spread of the gospel. Our focus this morning, again, will be verses 17 through 31, where we find four reminders of the unstoppable gospel. Reminder number one, 
The gospel advances through suffering and difficulty. The gospel advances through suffering and difficulty. We've seen this so many times, but look with me again at verse 17. After three days, he called together the local leaders of the Jews, and when they had gathered, he said to them, Brothers, though I had done nothing against our people or the customs of our fathers, yet I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans. When they had examined me, they wished to set me at liberty because there was no reason for the death penalty in my case. But because the Jews objected, I was compelled to appeal to Caesar though I had no charge to bring against my nation. For this reason, therefore, I have asked to see you and speak with you, since it is because of the hope of Israel that I am wearing this chain. And they said to him, We have received no letters from Judea about you, and none of the brothers coming here has reported or spoken any evil about you. But we desire to hear from you what your views are, for with regard to this sect, we know that everywhere it is spoken against. Friends, don't forget that Paul is arriving in Rome in chains. He's a prisoner. And this drama has now been unfolding since the middle of Acts chapter 21. The early church was marked by intense persecution. Just in our study of Acts, we've read of martyrdom, conspiracies to murder church leaders, false imprisonments, and multiple beatings. Yet we haven't yet encountered any instance of these things happening because Christians were participating in reckless or illegal activities. Now their suffering was the result of their obedience to the Lord Jesus and their bold proclamation of his death and resurrection. This is why Paul can say in verse 20, it is because of the hope of Israel that I am wearing this chain. Ultimately, Paul was in chains because he openly and passionately proclaimed the good news that the promised Messiah had come in the person of Jesus And in the death and resurrection of Jesus, Jews could lay hold of an eternal and living hope if if they would only turn to Christ in faith. David Peterson writes, even after all the opposition he has received, Paul still believes that there is a hope for Israel. Brothers and sisters, if there was hope for Saul the persecutor, then there is hope for anyone. If the gospel proved to be unstoppable in coming to and radically transforming Paul, and if it then continued to be unstoppable in the face of unrelenting persecution and opposition then Paul could now stand before these Jewish authorities in Rome and declare the same good news. And he could do it with the utmost confidence that it would continue to capture hearts and bring eternal hope. Now why? Why? Because the gospel advances 
through suffering and difficulty. It's the same dynamic that has fueled the growth of the church in Iran and so many other places. When Christians suffer for their faith, Christ is presented as infinitely glorious and satisfying. Right? Unbelievers, those looking on, see a kind of peace and contentment and joy that they inwardly have a deep longing for. Oh, Redeemer family, I, I fear that we have this subtly dangerous way of thinking. We think that under the perfect conditions, the gospel will spread most rapidly. And of course, the perfect conditions include political peace, economic prosperity, and unhindered religious liberty. Now, none of those things are bad. But the rapid spread of the gospel has never required these conditions. In fact, sometimes these particular conditions have served as some of the biggest hindrances to the rapid spread of the gospel. Now, don't don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying that we ought to long for the eradication of our liberties and for oppression to increase. I'm simply I'm simply reminding you that if that does happen, it will not thwart the sovereign work of God and it will not stop the spread of the gospel. So that's reminder number one. The gospel advances through suffering and difficulty. Now, here's reminder number two. The gospel advances through ordinary word ministry. The gospel advances through ordinary word ministry. We see this in verses 23 and 24. Look with me at verse 23. When they had appointed a day for him, they came to him at his lodging in great numbers. From morning till evening, he expounded to them, testifying to the kingdom of God and trying to convince them about Jesus both from the law of Moses and from the prophets. Some were convinced by what he said, but others disbelieved. Isn't it interesting, the parallels between this meeting with Paul and Jesus' conversation with the disciples on the Emmaus Road? Listen again to how Luke records what Jesus did. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Whether it's Jesus with two doubting disciples following the resurrection, or Paul and a gathering of skeptical Jewish leaders, the chosen method for explaining the message of the gospel with persuasive clarity was to show how the Old Testament scriptures point to Jesus. I love how Tony Marita explains this concerning Paul's actions in verse 23. Uh, Listen to what he writes. Paul taught about Jesus in accordance with the Old Testament, showing Christ as the hero of the scriptures. 
The text doesn't tell us exactly what Paul said about the kingdom, but surely he described how Jesus was the long-anticipated ruler, the true and better David whose kingdom was inaugurated at his first coming and will one day be consummated at his second. Marita continues, As king, Jesus now reigns in the hearts of all who will come to him. The king's people are called to display the values and virtues of the king giving the world a foretaste of the consummated kingdom to come. The king's people should seek first the kingdom of God and should invite the world to bow to the king in order to participate in his kingdom both now and forever. You see, Paul cared about the kingdom because he cared about the king. His passion for the kingdom flowed from his passion for its ruler. And friends, this is the good news he declares. Jesus is king. Turn from your sin and receive this good and perfect king by faith. Notice the response, verse 24 again. And some were convinced by what he said, but others disbelieved. Brothers and sisters, unfortunately, this will always be the case. When the good news of the king and his kingdom is declared, some will accept it and some will tragically reject it. But I want you to, I want you to understand this. In a, in a very real sense, our job is to do precisely what both Jesus and Paul did. This is how the gospel has and will advance. Open the Bible, show people Jesus from beginning to end, try to convince them about Jesus, and then leave the results to a sovereign and good God. You see, the church, especially here in the U.S., seems to think that evangelistic effectiveness requires great creativity, ingenious methods, and entrepreneurial skill. But that's simply not true. Friends, the gospel will advance and the church will grow through the ordinary ministry of the word, attended to by the extraordinary power of the Holy Spirit. This is why we're convinced that the best thing we can do to equip you to be effective in your gospel witness is to show you the staggering splendor and breathtaking beauty of King Jesus and to show it to you from Genesis to Revelation and then to pray for you and push you to go open your Bible and show people Jesus. The gospel advances through suffering and difficulty. The gospel advances through ordinary word ministry. And here's our third reminder. Reminder number three, the gospel advances through obedience to the Great Commission. Look with me at verse 25. And disagreeing among themselves, they departed after Paul had made one statement. The Holy Spirit was right in saying to your fathers through Isaiah the prophet, go to this people and say, you will indeed hear but never understand. 
and you will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. Therefore, let it be known to you that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. They will listen. Friends, this is a sad confrontation. Paul applies the words of the prophet Isaiah to those sitting before him. And he very importantly draws a distinction between hearing and understanding, between seeing and perceiving. And and here's the point Paul is making. Paul's fellow Jews had inherited their father's spiritual blindness, deafness, and dullness. And because of this, instead of all the blessings that were available to them in Christ, in their rejection, they stood in danger of his judgment. In fact, he literally says that you've been offered healing and you don't want it. Of course, this is not only true for Jews in Paul's day, but this is true for everyone. I, Howard Marshall, a a well-known commentator, reminds us of this reality and his words apply to all people. Listen to what he says. This is a divine judgment upon them because they themselves have made their hearts impervious to the word of God. They have allowed themselves to become deaf and blind for fear that they might hear and see the disturbing word of God and so receive healing from God. God's word brings the diagnosis of sin, which is painful to hear and accept, but at the same time, it wounds in order to heal. Friends, Friends, don't be like those Paul is talking to in our text. Don't reject Jesus. Believe in Him. Turn from your sin and trust the perfect King of heaven. Live under His good and right rule. You will will never, you will never regret taking Jesus at His word. He will redeem you and make you new. He will heal you in the most complete sense if you'll trust in Him today. Notice back in our text, verse 28, Paul's attention will again be directed toward the Gentiles. Why? They will listen to the good news concerning Jesus. So friends, what do we find happening here? Well, if I could summarize it quite simply, Paul is obeying the Great Commission. In the power of the Spirit, he is going and making disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that Christ has commanded. First, Paul took the message of Jesus to Jews and then to Gentiles. He traveled from place to place. He equipped saints to do the work of the ministry in his absence. Brothers and sisters, the recipe for biblically robust gospel ministry really hasn't changed, has it? What Paul was doing 
we are to do as well. The gospel advances through obedience to the Great Commission. So here's here's where we've been so far. The gospel advances through suffering and difficulty. The gospel advances through ordinary word ministry. The gospel advances through obedience to the Great Commission. And now, finally, and very briefly, our final reminder, reminder number four, the gospel advances because God has promised that it will. You'll notice that I changed one word from the previous points. Instead of through, I'm I'm using because. Look with me at verse 30. He lived there two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him. So we're talking about Paul. And what did he do as he welcomed all those who came to him? He proclaimed the kingdom of God. He taught about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. The book of Acts began with the the fulfillment of a promise. The Holy Spirit came. And with the coming of the Holy Spirit, the plan of God for his gospel to go to the ends of the earth could now be accomplished. And friends, that's what we've seen, isn't it? We have walked through an incredible story of gospel advance. But here's what I want to make sure you understand. Acts 28 isn't the end of the story. It's just the beginning. That's why I shared with you what has been happening in Iran. This is why I wanted you all to watch Jesus in Athens. This is why I try to keep before you some of what God is doing around the world. And this is why I so desperately want each of you to know the message of your Bible so that you can share the message of your Bible. I want you to be part of the glorious and global work of God. I want you to be part of the ongoing story of the book of Acts. I don't simply want you to believe the gospel, though I do want that for each and every one of you. But I want you to engage in God's sovereign work of gathering a new people to himself, a people from every tribe, tongue, and nation. Redeemer family, I believe, I believe with every ounce of my being that there are tens of of thousands of our neighbors and co-workers and family members that have been chosen by God in Christ. But how will they hear without a witness? My prayer as we reach the end of Acts, my prayer is that this church won't be marked by spiritual complacency, but by evangelistic activity. I 
hope and I pray that we will passionately engage in the ongoing story of Acts. That we will all experience the joy of of taking the unstoppable gospel to those who need it most. You see, brothers and sisters, God in His grace, in His kindness, in His mercy, He has called us frail, feeble, broken, but made new in Christ. He has called us to participate in His mission. And it is a mission that cannot and will not fail. So may the true story of the unstoppable gospel in the book of Acts, may it fuel our gospel witness. May it fuel our involvement in in making sure the gospel continues to spread, not only in our own area, but across the world. God in His grace, in His kindness, in His mercy has included us in this great work. So let's get busy. Will you pray with me? Father, we thank you. We thank you again for your word. We thank you for your gracious work of redemption. We thank you for Jesus. Thank you for his miraculous birth, his sinless life, his substitutionary death, his glorious resurrection, his ascension to your right hand, Father, and we look forward to his return. We preach the good news of the kingdom now as we await the full and final consummation of that kingdom. Holy Spirit, would you fill us with boldness? Would you fill us with passion? Would you lead us to those who need to hear the gospel? And then would you put the gospel on our lips? Holy Spirit, we plead with you, we beg you that even through this time of the coronavirus, we pray, Holy Spirit, that you would do a remarkable work that many sinners would be drawn to faith in Christ and that you would be so kind as to use us in that process. Holy Spirit, remind us that the gospel is unstoppable. We pray all of this in the name of our risen King, Jesus. Amen.